But then I realized like, no, I am an expert in caregiving and ALS and it is super different and weird. It's not the normal fashion or fun, like sexy stuff that you see travel content on social media. Like caregiving is really hard. It's messy. It's not pretty. It's really sad, but there wasn't a space like that on social media. And I'm trying to create a space along with others who are also trying to do the same thing. And I think that's where you shine and where you feel your most authentic self and that you're actually making a difference when you're doing something that's really, truly authentic to you. It's me, Kylie McDonald. Welcome back to another episode of Chapter 20-something. I'm so excited for today's guest for so many reasons. Honestly, she's just an amazing person and she's an advocate for a topic that is very close to my heart. Today's guest is Sarah Trott. Sarah is a social media influencer, podcaster. She appeared on season 25 of ABC's The Bachelor, and she is an ALS advocate. Now, let's talk for a second about ALS. May just happens to be ALS Awareness Month. Okay, so you might know it as Lou Gehrig's disease, or maybe a few years back you did the ice bucket challenge, Um, but really I think the severity of ALS isn't known as much. So to give a little more background info, um, ALS is a progressive neurodegenerative disease that basically stops your muscles from working. So you lose your ability to walk, move, speak, eat, and eventually breathe on your own. Um, The life expectancy after a diagnosis is two to five years. And one of the saddest aspects for me is that it's purely physical. So your mind is not affected at all. And if you are dealing with a loved one who has this disease, the person that you know is still there. They can still try to communicate with you, but They can't do anything physical for themselves anymore. And that is just completely, utterly heartbreaking to see. Um, My grandfather lost his life to ALS back in 2009. Um, My family since then has founded the Dapper House Foundation. They do a lot of great work, my aunt especially, um, to raise awareness and funds for ALS. And they also um, created a live-in residency in the Boston area that allows people living with ALS to live more comfortably and to have more freedom in their day-to-day lives. There is currently no cure for ALS, but there are a lot of people working to find one, and there are also individuals who are trying to make the lives of people living with ALS and their loved ones easier, and one of those people is Sarah Trott. Sarah's father, Tom, also lost his life to this disease this past October. 
While being a young caregiver herself, Sarah was able to share her story and connect with countless young women who have been through a similar situation after appearing on The Bachelor. So now, through her social media platforms, she is able to share her family's experiences as well as her reflections and her advice on her platforms, her podcast, and through Sarah's caregiver community, which is a Facebook group that allows Sarah and other young women who are caregivers for a parent living with ALS, allows them to connect. So Sarah leads weekly virtual small groups, hosts caregiver retreats, and she works with various local and national ALS organizations to advocate for research and caregiver support. She's also a board member of Hope Loves Company, the largest ALS nonprofit for children. And she is also an associate editor and contributor at caregiving.com, which is an industry-leading digital media platform for all things related to caregiving support, wellness, and mental health resources. Sarah is truly an incredibly inspiring person, and I can't wait to see what she continues to do. Um, We had a wonderful conversation. Um, She's a great person to learn from about advocacy and how we could, you know, help each other out in our day-to-day lives, but she also gives, gives great insight into what it's like to be a content creator, finding your path, even if it means going down one path and then saying, "Mm, never mind, I think I'm going to go down this one instead and just figuring it out as you go. So I know you will all enjoy this convo with her. Um, You can follow her at the Sarah Trot on Instagram. Check out her website, sarahtrotmedia.com. And if you're interested in connecting with her caregiver community, you can find it on Facebook at Sarah's Caregiver Community. And that's also on her website as well. As always, You can support the podcast by rating, reviewing, subscribing, whatever you want to do. Um, You can follow it on Instagram at chapter20somethingpod. And of course, if you want, you could follow me at official Kylie McDonald. Um, Can't wait to hear what you all think of this episode. And I will talk to you guys soon. Have a great week. Much love. Bye. So Sarah Trudge, thank you for coming on chapter 20 something today. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Of course. I have been following your story and like reading a little bit more about you since I saw you originally on The Bachelor and just hearing everything that you've been through and how you've turned it into a way that will help you, but also help other people. It's really inspiring. So I'm just so excited to just jump into all of it. Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. And when I saw the name of your podcast, Chapter 20 something, I couldn't help but think how similar that is to, to my podcast and just how we have no idea what we're doing when we're starting our 20s and just hearing advice and wisdom from other women or other other people is so important. So happy to be Truly. here. Yeah. And it's, it's so great to celebrate those stories. And I've listened to a couple episodes of your podcast too. And it's like, yeah, you have people on and you yourself are someone who is going after something that you want that doesn't necessarily fit the straight path, but you figure it out. You're like, yeah, this is the way I want to live my life. So I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it's, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. It definitely took a couple of reroutes for sure. 
a lot of trial and error, a lot of thinking I wanted to do one thing and then it ended up being something else. Just being adaptable and flexible and saying yes to things. I feel like that's the best thing you can do when you're starting your twenties. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's dive into all those reroutes and everything you've done. So going back to the beginning, um, are you originally from California? I'm from San Diego. Born. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. So jealous, by the way. (laughs) Where are you from originally? New York. New York. So East Coast girl. But I was in San Diego um, last June and for the first time, and it was just the most stunning place. So that's amazing that you got to grow up there, truly. Yeah, it was really fun to grow up there. And you don't really realize how lucky you are until sometimes you travel and just see other parts of the world and other parts of the country and very fortunate for warm weather because now, I mean, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Like I get cold in 60 degree air conditioning. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) freezing. Yeah. We just had our first like 70 degree day yesterday in New York. And I'm like, you know, get all the spring summer dresses out, like let's go. And it was like, you know, it's really not time for that yet. But when the sun comes out, you just need to need to get in that mindset. So You originally, after college, you got into TV journalism, broadcasting, all that. So was that what you always wanted to do? Yes. So I grew up watching the news with my parents. It was a ritual, mostly to get out of homework, honestly, when I was a Mm -hmm. kid. (laughs) I'm going to sit down and watch a 30-minute nightly newscast uh, with Brian Williams back before he kind of got canceled. Um, But, you know, just grew up watching the news with my parents, and it was a ritual that made me more curious about the world. And I remember asking my parents, like, this is a job. How do you get to do that? And this was before influencers, before social media, before all of that. So the reach of TV journalists was really huge. And so, of course, it seems so cool to be on TV. But then I realized all the skills that I love writing, communicating, being curious about the world, investigating things fit into this role of being a journalist. And so I left sunny San Diego to go to the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, experienced snow, experienced cold weather for seasons, but mostly went because they have an amazing broadcast journalism school, MIZ, any Mizzou alumni listening to this, they know what I'm talking about. It's an awesome journalism school specifically for broadcast. So when I was 18, I started being on air, TV reporting, anchoring, and then did internships in DC and back in San Diego and always thought TV news, reporter, anchor, this is it, this is gonna be it. And then it took some major life changes and unexpected things to make me step back and think like, is this really what I wanna do? Is this direction of the industry where it's going something that I believe in? So I experienced all those things at once. And um, here I am now, podcaster, content creator, Absolutely. Yes. And it seems like back in those early days of yours, like you were very driven. I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're like, all right, I'm going to go to the best school, get all the internships, do what I need to do to make my dream a reality. And that, yes, it's amazing. And you can accomplish so much and do so many amazing things, but you're right. Like, I think it takes um, something outside of that path to happen, to be like, okay, wait, like, do I want to stay on this path or am I just like chasing the next step? Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think in certain industries, it's really easy to get caught up in a bubble, especially with journalism. I remember one summer uh, 
before I was going into my senior year, I interned at NBC4, uh, WRC, the local news station in Washington, D.C., and local is interesting because you're in, you know, the U.S. capital, but you're also covering local news, but with like a, a national and international angle. And I just remember being completely engulfed and intoxicated into the news world. And this was my whole life. And I'm like, it was, you know, shaking people by the shoulders. Why aren't you caring about this? Like, pay attention. The news is the most important thing. And it is really important to know what's going on around you in your world. But I just remember going so far to one spectrum of just being completely reading all the top headlines, reading, listening to podcasts and just all encompassing myself because that's what it would take to be successful in that career. And I could see myself going in that direction. Um, and then I kind of took a step back when I just started kind of getting into my career after my dad was diagnosed with ALS. And I took a step back and made the decision to put my career on pause, which was something I had worked for so for so many years. And it wasn't until then that I realized, oh my gosh, there's more to life than a career. There's more to life than being on TV. And as much of an impact that was, I found that being with family was a priority at that time. My career wasn't a priority, uh, that things can wait. You can take a step back. You can just chill for a second yeah. <laughs> and things will still be there uh, for you. And now my, I'm kind of grateful in some ways that I had such hard things happen because now I'm doing something completely different that I wouldn't have been doing probably otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been very open about your dad's story and how, you know, that has affected your life. And my grandpa suffered from the same disease too, and it's awful and it's truly, you know, changes your whole life. And, you know, if you could go back to that time, like, what were you thinking in that sense of like, how can I help people in this community? Like while you were going through it and struggling yourself, like what were changes that you think needed to happen? Yeah, I think while I was in it in the first couple years, I actually wasn't really involved in advocacy or doing really anything remotely close to what I'm doing now. It kind of took toward the last like year or two of my dad's life when we felt like we had a better grasp and acceptance of the disease uh, that, you know, I could maybe step more into this advocacy space. But I just remember not knowing where to turn, not having people who could understand my situation at the age of 19, maybe you who have lost a grandparent, but for most people, you don't really experience, you know, death, hopefully mm -hmm. that young. Um, right. I think it's kind of rare uh, from my experience. So I, couldn't find people who re could relate to me. And it was really difficult being a young person, being a young caregiver, dealing with college, boyfriends, career decisions, all of these big, exciting, scary challenges that you face normally as a 20 year old starting the decade of your twenties, but then coming to terms with, oh my gosh, my dad, who was this healthy, strong, smart guy just got this fatal diagnosis of two to five years. Like, what do you mean? My dad was supposed to walk me down the aisle. He was supposed to watch me graduate all these things. And your life just kind of comes crashing down. And so now it's my life mission to talk about caregiving, to have people know that caregivers are not just people that show up in blue scrubs that help your grandparent. Caregivers are actually young people that are juggling a lot of different things. And it's really powerful when you bring all of those people together in one space. Truly. Yes. And it is so important because even from people I've known in my life, people who 
aren't even in their 20s, but you know, maybe in their 40s or 50s, and they're dealing with maybe a spouse getting sick or a situation like that, there isn't always a support group. There isn't always somebody to turn to. So if you're looking at somebody later on in their midlife who's dealing with that, you can't even imagine what it's like for somebody so much younger. And there has to be some anger in that as well, where it's like, I'm supposed to be young, I'm supposed to be living my life. And now I have to deal with this. And it's awful. But at the same time, you're learning about the fragility of life, but also love and how you can be there for somebody. And it's just so much. But the fact that you are helping these people through this is so special and so important. Thank you. Yeah, there of were course. moments where, you know, I'm so angry, like, and I'm sure it's even am- more amplified for the caregivers who are caregiving for a parent during COVID. But I just remember right. feeling so, this was pre-COVID, but just so frustrated, like, oh, a lot of my friends are going on a spring break to, you know, Mexico or something. And, you know, I want to go, but I go to school far away and I, I want to go home and see my dad. And definitely had moments where I felt like I was missing out on things or just decisions that I made that would prioritize family. But looking back, I don't regret any of that because time is so limited when you have a diagnosis like ALS. Like, as you know, I'm so sorry you experienced that with your grandfather. Mm-hmm. And time and family time is something that you can never get back. And I look back and am I going to be bummed that I didn't have, you know, maybe as many like drunk party nights in college with my friends because I was decided to do you know something else to prioritize my family or even after college, you know, and I, I look back and I don't have any regrets. I feel like I was able to maintain balance, but also first and foremost, prioritize my family. And I think a lot of people can have regrets in their caregiving journey. And if you can try to minimize those regrets by just doing as much as you can, then I think you can look back and and feel good about what you did and what you did for your loved one. And especially maybe my situation is unique because I have such a close or had such a close relationship with my dad. Not everyone feels that way about a parent. Um, So I'm really lucky in that way, but my heart just goes out for caregivers of all kinds because it's really not easy. No, absolutely not. And explain a little bit more about what you're doing now with your caregiving community. Yeah. So after I was on The Bachelor, I was shocked and saddened and also excited just to see so many young women mostly reach out to me that they had been through a similar situation. I really couldn't believe it. I could not believe how many messages I was getting and I tried responding to everyone and quickly realized it just didn't make sense to do that. So I put everyone together in a Facebook group or invited people to join my Facebook group rather called Sarah's Caregiver Community. And it now has over 900 members, mostly young female women who are caring for a parent with ALS, which is a really niche group because after talking with other nonprofits and ALS organizations, There's a lot of resources for really young children and then the spouses, but not so much this kind of untouched demographic of the grown children who are Mm. caregivers. So I lead uh, weekly Zoom small groups. I have a WhatsApp channel. Uh, We have the Facebook group and we're having our first in-person retreat with 15 caregivers in Arlston next month. So Ah. we're all going to meet up after months of zoom and virtual. I talk to these women more than I talk to some of my best friends. These are, we're total strangers and we've gotten so close because we've had such a similar shared lived experience. And 
now we get to meet up next month. I can't wait. Wow. That's so incredible. And how amazing that must feel for you to have built this really and built it from such a hard time in your life, but look what you've created. You're helping so many people and it's a group that didn't really have this before, but now you're doing so much with it and helping so many people like congratulations on that. Truly. Well, thank you. But it's helping me selfishly. I mean, you know, I admittedly say I don't have all the answers and I am just here to bring people together and share my experience, but hear from others. And I started this group before my dad passed. And, you know, when I was going through one of the hardest weeks of my life up to his passing, you know, I was chatting with those women and they were the first girls that I I told when he passed and, Mm. you know, they sent me flowers and it's just kind of, become this really beautiful community. And I'm not the only one that has lost a parent since I started this group back in like mid 2021. So it's helped me a ton and I just hope I can grow it and, and scale it because I know that more people could benefit from it. Um, but it is emotionally exhausting and it takes a, a toll on you for sure, because it is something that's so personal. Yes. I was going to ask about that too, because, you know, you are kind of a spokesperson now for this disease, but also, you know, for caregivers in general, and you must have people in this group and in your DMs every day telling you their stories and their heart heartaches. And it's truly like one of the most awful circumstances you can imagine. Like, how do you deal with all these emotions and stories coming to you and having to take it all in, process it and help these people, but also take care of yourself at the same time? Yeah, I think my experience working in, in journalism, especially dealing with tough topics has really helped me. So Mm -hmm. during this time, I'm able to empathize with the stories that I'm hearing and find a way that doesn't feel like such an avalanche for me that I I care so much. Um, and I'm doing as much as I can, but to not let it overwhelm me and to just try to think about all the positives and how I can help people and to take it day by day and piece by piece, but I definitely feel that weight too. And I kind of say I've become an accidental spokeswoman for ALS because nobody wants to deal with ALS. ALS shouldn't have to be something that people deal with. I didn't want to become an ALS spokeswoman, but I am because Mm -hmm. it's out of necessity because we still haven't found a cure for this awful disease. And that's what keeps me going and allows me to look at it with a positive lens. Yeah. I love that. And it's, you know, it's true. And that's what you have to do. I think with any, any tough times in life, it's like, how can you turn this into something good, but you have, and that's great. And, oh, I can't wait to like see pictures from Charleston and everything you guys will do. That must be just such an exciting thing to look forward to right now for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If anyone has Charleston recommendations, please let me know. It's so funny. It's a group of like, you know, young women. So we are going out one night and we want to do a theme night. So we were trying to think of like, what are we going to do? Like, what should we dress up as? And we decided we're all going to dress up like brides, like a bachelorette party because Charleston is a bachelorette. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a group of like 15 women in like sashes and brides and people are going to be like, what brought you guys all together? And (laughs) if you think about it, it's kind of morbid, but we're able to like laugh about this and just be united in that. Like we are dealing with some really shitty circumstances, but we're going to come together and we're going to have fun and have some drinks and have a weekend of respite and yoga, kayaking, maybe. Oh, amazing. 
Yeah. Oh my God. That's going to be so much fun. I actually, I was in Charleston in January, so I'll have to send you some recommendations. It's such a fun city. I've never been. I'm so excited to check it out. Yeah. Oh my God. You'll love it. You'll love it for sure. So, um, as we were talking about, you know, so many people have come to know you and know your story from when you were on the bachelor, um, which is awesome. How did that opportunity originally come about? Yeah. So I was having a wine night with one of my, (laughs) my old roommates and, you know, all the best and worst ideas happen when you're drinking wine. So very true. Very true. (laughs) I remember, uh, applying through the online thing because I saw Matt James was the bachelor and I was like, Oh wow. Wouldn't this be fun? Like, let me just apply. This as a long shot and submitted my story and didn't hear anything for a few months, continued living my life and got a call. I thought it was a prank call a few months later in the summertime, like, Hey, you know, this is a casting director. I totally thought it was a joke. And then they asked me to submit a video and one thing led to another and Next thing I knew, I was at Nemecolon Woodland Resort in Pennsylvania. And I was like, this is so unreal. But I was going into it with an open mind and quickly realized when I got there, it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. And it was just, you know, time for me to to go. And I had bigger, more important stuff happening back home and um, no regrets leaving when I did so. No. And at the end, I feel like your story was showcased from what I remember, like in a a very positive light. And it was, you know, you were going to where you were being called to be. And that was with your family. And I feel like that really spoke to people and obviously has led you to some really good things. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, my dad would always look for the silver lining and everything and and find the, the gift and everything. And when I signed up for The Bachelor, 2020 was a wild year. We were dealing with the pandemic. You know, my my dad was sick, but he was stable. And I had the full support from my family to go on the show. They wanted me to do something fun and for myself. And um, I'm glad I did because I learned so much about seeing all the behind the scenes and just seeing The Bachelor experience. So I'm I'm grateful for that. I've gotten connected with so many wonderful people. And it's now given me this platform where I can use my voice as I was with journalism and reporting and, and podcasting, but just on a bigger level for ALS advocacy, which has become, you know, the most important thing in my life. And I guess the bachelor was a helpful, helpful thing to help me with all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Were you worried a little bit, like before it came out, how you'd be perceived or how people would react to your story at all? Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, that was really difficult because you really you know, don't have much control about how things are portrayed on screen. So you, you know, there's always a little bit of like, is it really going to be how it happened? Because you're taking a week worth of footage and putting it into one or two hours. So Mm -hmm. of course not everything makes the final cut, but, um, you know, I, it was really nerve wracking and it was really difficult. And, um, that was a difficult time for my mental health for sure. I'm just glad that phase is over and yeah, Glad I did it, but I I don't think I would want to experience it again because it's pretty tough. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you got through it and you're at a better place now for sure. And now you are full-time content creating, podcasting, advocacy, all that, like just doing your damn thing, which is awesome. (laughs) I'm also working with caregiving.com as an editor and 
with their social media and digital communication. So doing stuff with caregiving.com. I'm now on the board for Hope Loves Company, which is an ALS organization that does retreats for young kids whose parents have ALS, like elementary, middle school, high school aged kids. Okay. Uh, so they can feel like a kid again and they can go to retreats. And um, there's just so many different nonprofits and like exciting organizations that are trying to help with ALS. So yeah, that I'm part of it now. Yeah. You're a part of it at all, which is amazing. So what does a day to day look like for you? Like you wake up, you're doing your thing. Like what, what do you do every day <laughs> or does one day look the same at all or no? <laughs> that's why I, I love what I do because every day is different. And I think that's yes. also what drew me to the career of a TV reporter and anchor because every day is different as well. You know, the news you're covering, the people you're interviewing is always different. And same with what I do now, I'm able to travel a lot. I'm based in San Diego and LA mostly, but my days are pretty flexible. You know, I am working, you know, with online publishing articles, creating content, helping with the editorial planning and rollout of different caregiving related topics for caregiving.com. But then I also, some weeks will be, you know, attending Zoom meetings with different ALS chapters or now the company or the Hopeless Company, which I'm a board member of. Sometimes I'll be shooting content for brands. Uh, I love fashion. So I'll be sometimes modeling or promoting different fashion brands on my social media, getting content. Every day is so different from the next, but I think that's the best way for my mind to operate. So I just feel really grateful that I'm, I'm able to do that now. Yeah. And it keeps it exciting too. You know, it's, it's, you never know what's coming next. Like that's a, that's a good way to live. I think. Yeah, it is fun. It is fun. I don't think I could just do one thing. I like to have my hand in lots of different things. Yes. Yes. I'm the same way. And um, I'm wondering, you have all these opportunities and you keep finding like things that you're passionate about and brands that you like. How do you find the next opportunity? Like, are you consistently like reaching out to brands? Are you finding meetings? Like how, how are you finding what will be next for you? Yeah. When it comes to brand partnerships or just um, anything in general, honestly, anything, but yeah, if you want to stick with brand partnerships, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I, I guess, how am I finding the next thing? I just follow what I'm passionate about and mm-hmm. things that I organically love and care about. And that makes it flow just so much easier. So for example, like a few weeks ago, I was interested in real estate and I'm like, I think I might get my real estate license. So I might start studying for that and uh, pursue that. But I just feel like my philosophy is just to, to channel abundance and opportunities and networking and asking people, you know, how do you like this? Or, you know, this part of your career, you travel to that city and just thinking in that way is really exciting. And I feel like that's kind of how I I channel what's next. But I have, um, when it comes to work stuff, I have an awesome social media team that helps me stay organized and on top of everything. But um, being a content creator is definitely a full-time job. I think a lot of people see influencers and they just think, oh, that must be nice. That must be like so easy. But for most content creators, it takes a lot of time and a lot of heart and and dedication to to do that as a full-time career. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's you consistently like putting yourself out there too, which must be, it's difficult. It's difficult for anybody, I think, to like post a picture and be like, oh, like, oh God, do I look good in this? Are people going to like it? Are people going to hate it? Whatever. Um, So when that's your job, that's tough for sure. So I'm wondering how, when your brand is centered around you mostly, obviously there's so much that you're doing, but when it's centered around you, how do you separate your work life from your personal life? Yeah, that is hard because it really bleeds into one. And I would say Mm -hmm. there are certain things that, you know, I withhold a little bit. I, I am so vulnerable and I share so much on social media. Uh, but I feel like there's a long more that I could be doing to be showing like, this is really what I look like when I wake up in the morning and having that authenticity and transparency is so important now. And that's what people want to see on social media. People want to see these curated, you know, photos. Like when you think of Instagram, when it first started popping off, like remember the travel bloggers that would have like the most picturesque scenes. They're like in some beautiful dress sitting and there's still a lot of that, but there's a lot of Photoshop and nobody wants to see that. People want to see videos. They want to see what your day-to-day life is really like. And so I try to, to post more content like that and to also check in, like how much time am I really spending on my phone? Like mm-hmm. I work from phone, so I'm constantly on my phone, but if I'm having a dinner with friends or if I'm with family, just like making a conscious effort to put my phone away and to really feel present is super important. But to your point earlier, there's such a difference between content creators and content consumers. And the creators are the ones that put themselves out there to be exposed to trolls, to negativity, to hate in order to fuel the demand from the content consumers. Because Instagram wouldn't be, or TikTok wouldn't be what it is if people didn't put themselves out there, if they didn't make funny dances or speak their mind or, or share their outfits. And so I think it's really important when you're coming to that platform to realize like it's important if you have something negative to say, don't say it, don't be a troll. And most of the time, these trolls are just hiding behind fake accounts that aren't actually these people's real accounts because people are too afraid to actually attach their face with a mean comment. Right. Oh my God. It's so true. And it's so sad, but then, you know, I feel like whenever I've seen a comment like that, I'm like, all right, that person's dealing with their own stuff at that point. Like that's sad that this is their outlet, but you can't let it get to you personally because it's like, they're expressing their anger through a screen to somebody that they know they're never going to have to come into contact with. I'm like, that's sad. That really is. But you hope they get like the help they need. And then you have to move on with your beautiful life and like do your thing. <laughs> Wish them the best, but like, thank yeah. you next. Goodbye. Exactly. Exactly. In 2022, like, please, no, cut it out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then along with that, um, I wanted to ask you too, like people can get so caught up in the numbers games of social medias, whether it's like followers, likes, and when it is a part of your job, like it does matter to some extent, but there's still like that personal mental side of it where you could be like, Oh God, like, am I losing followers? Am I having enough likes, you know, like those things like that, that we all can think of, even if we say we don't care, like sometimes we kind of do like, how do you measure that um, professionally and personally? Yeah. I think, you know, followers are such a vanity metric, uh, especially when you're thinking about it as a business or you're thinking about it as your self-worth, like 
there's more to life than followers, but as someone who works as a content creator, I know it's important, but what's more important is the type of content you're putting out there and who you are and your consistency and your message and what value you're providing to the platform, uh, whether that's fashion or makeup videos or talking about caregiving or just being funny. You know, I think it's more important to have good value than having some inflated number of followers and engagement and creating like a real sense of community is super important on social media because that's why the app was created. It was to create a social network, a social community. And, and people can see through that too. They can see if you've bought your followers, they can see if you bought views, well, maybe not views, but comments. And so I think it's hard for me to just like say like, oh, followers don't matter because it does in a way, but I think what matters more is the impact you're creating. So whether you have 10 followers, a thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand, a million, I think as long as you're providing value and just being a good person on the platform, you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's also what creates your authenticity in a world where there's so many people trying to do quote unquote, the same thing, you know, there's a lot of like different influencers and content creators, but you're doing what has related to your life and like your story. And that separates you from the rest and creates a community that is going to go to you because of who you are and not because of the number, you know, which is such an interesting point, because I remember hearing like in the early days of building an online brand and building Instagram, listening to podcasts and just hearing from other thought leaders in the space of like, okay, what is your niche? What's going to set you apart, you know, on your website and your social media? Are you an expert in this or that? And I just remember feeling like, well, what is my niche? Is it fitness? So I like, I tried to do fitness videos and then I quickly got burnt out. Like, is my niche uh, cooking? Like I'm terrible at cooking. No, is it fashion? (laughs) Kind of. I just remember feeling like I don't have a niche. I'm not an expert in anything. But then I realized like, no, I am an expert in caregiving and ALS and it is super different and weird. It's not the normal fashion or fun, like sexy stuff that you see travel content on social media. Like caregiving is really hard. It's messy. It's not pretty. It's really sad, but there wasn't a space like that on social media. And I'm trying to create a space along with others who are also trying to do the same thing. And I think that's where you shine and you feel your most authentic self and that you're actually making a difference when you're doing something that's really, truly authentic to you. Amen to that, truly. And you also do the fashion stuff as well. And you are showing a little bit more of your life and your travels, whatever you're doing. But that that makes it fun because it shows a whole person. It shows like this is my fun side. This is, you know, what we all post. We want to like show the highlight reel a little bit. And then it's like, and this is my story and this is who I am and why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to see is real people, real people. And that's what our feeds should be filled with more on our day-to-day basis. Yeah. And to any caregivers or just any young women, like woman, you can be both. Like you can be a professional, like killing it, leading a zoom call one day. And then you can also at five o'clock be getting like tipsy on marks with your girlfriends. And you know what? Like you can be both and don't ever let anyone tell you like you have to fit into this rigid stereotype because women are so much more than that. Like you can wear something sexy and also have a brain. Like it's not one or the other. And Mm -hmm. I remember really struggling with that. Like 
you know, with my time as a TV reporter and anchor, like having an identity crisis. And then now, you know, on social media with caregiving and ALS, like in these meetings with nonprofits and, you know, also posting like cute stuff to my social media, but like, I can do both. Like I can give a shit about ALS and I can also be fun and like in a bikini on a boat. (laughs) Yes. Hell yes. Absolutely. (laughs) And look good and know what you're saying and like doing everything you can. So that's how we should be. And you're an awesome example of that. Thanks. I appreciate that. Of course. Yes, of course. Um, So I want to ask you, you know, I feel like there's this theme that I've noticed with everything you've said is like, you've constantly been or consistently been putting yourself out there really. And that's kind of what has led to every next step in your career. I think that's also something that people aren't always completely willing to do because of fear, you know, fear of rejection, whatever it is, you know, it's hard to put yourself out there. So what would you have to say to people who say like, oh, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to do this because I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this big courageous action. You know, what, what would you say? I feel like nothing is worse in life than thinking what if. So I think, you know, why not is so much better than thinking what if, and nothing is also worse than seeing somebody else living your daydream, like watching somebody else get that, that job or or go on that trip or, or do that thing that you've always wanted to do that you didn't feel like you had the courage or strength or capacity to do, you know, tomorrow is not guaranteed, honestly, and not to sound too cliche, but after just seeing, you know, my dad who, who passed away too soon, who had this terrible diagnosis, you know, he had plans to retire and, and, you know, be on the golf course and enjoy retirement. And that, that wasn't guaranteed. And he worked so hard and he deserved that, but he didn't get it. So I think being really present and just taking chances and also understanding that courage and confidence isn't a skill that you can just snap your fingers and get that it takes a lot of time and it takes small baby steps to do like one thing that scares you or um, just make small steps toward bigger goals because things don't happen overnight and confidence isn't built overnight. I haven't always been confident. I haven't always been so sure of myself, but it's a skill that you just have to nurture over time. Yeah. And, and also I think it's important to you to compare like who you are now is not who you were 10 minutes ago or a year ago, or even like two years ago. So I think it's really important to like check in on yourself and praise yourself for accomplishments and milestones that you reach and to realize like, oh, wow, I actually have come far and like, look how much farther I could also go. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're looking at your life and your career, if you could go back to yourself when you were starting out in your broadcast journalism career, like what would you tell that girl? I would be, I would tell her to not be so shy because I actually used to be really shy. So I would say like, speak up. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there more and be different and be loud and be confident and, and to just own it more. I think again, though, confidence takes time, but I just remember trying to be as accommodating and like as possible, which is important in so many situations. But I think for women, it can be really scary to, to ask for more or to, to step up or to, you know, raise your hand or you're in a big meeting with, you know, lots of different people at your work and you're afraid to speak up, like just speak up. And I think good things happen to people who, who put themselves out there. So yes. I would say, um, 
yeah. And another thing too, another piece of advice is to ask for more because things aren't always handed to you. I think it's really important if you want to like, for example, have a raise, or if you, if you want to cover that news story or, or you want to be the one that's in charge of this part of your department or just taking initiative is so important and something that I would also remind my younger self, like take initiative, do as much as you can, but also like find balance and like, don't forget about like having margaritas with your girlfriends because that's important too. So. It is. It is. We all need a little bit of balance there. And we all, I was going to say, we all need a margarita here and there too, but it's true. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what you said about taking initiative, like, I feel like that's really the most important thing. Like, and I've heard it time and time again from so many guests on the show. It's like, you get something when you are the one who's your own advocate and you stand up for yourself and you say, Hey, maybe I could do this. Or maybe this is something that needs to change. And it's not going to, unless you're the person who makes that change, you have to show yourself what you can do. So that's such great advice. I think. I mean, I think also another lesson I've learned in life, life is not fair, especially in so many situations, of course. And it's not always the person who is the most qualified or the smartest or the the most deserving. Like life is not fair. Sometimes that just doesn't happen. It doesn't work out that way. And it's unfortunate because there's so many people who are qualified and deserve to have certain things. But in so many competitive industries, no matter, you know, if you're applying for nursing school or want to be a lawyer or life is competitive, but the people who refuse to give up that are the most consistent are the ones that will be successful. Like you don't have to necessarily be the smartest person in the room, but if you can be kind and approachable and make an impression on someone and just be consistent, I think that will take you a lot farther than just being the smartest person in the room. Yeah, I think so too. And people want to work with somebody who they like as well. So, you know, it matters. It really matters to be kind and, Mm -hmm. and good at your job too, but also be kind truly. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, one question that I always ask everybody on the show, and it's something, you know, to kind of like end the conversation with is what is it that you value at the end of each day? Hmm. Of course, my family, that is something that has helped me through such hard times. Um, I would say the people that have supported me, whether it's my family or friends that have just been there through the good times and the bad times, because yeah. I truly believe I wouldn't be where I am today without the support of so many people. Like I could not be doing what I'm doing without the help of other organizations and just other people who care. So I would say like my network, like my, your network is your net worth. It's the team yes. of people that support you. So I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And truly, like you are doing so many amazing things and your passion for helping others is showing in your work and in your life. And it's really, really beautiful. And I can't wait to see everything you do. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I love that you have this podcast and this is just so fantastic. And another woman helping another woman, I'm always here for it. So same here, girl. Same. And thank you. I appreciate that. Um, where can people find you if they want to get connected with your caregiver community, all your stuff, l- let them have it. <laughs> yeah. So you can join my caregiver community on Facebook. It's a private support group. It's called Sarah's caregiver community. 
Uh, we have weekly Zoom calls if you're interested in joining. They're for women in their 20s or 30s caring for a parent with ALS. And then you can also find more about me uh, on my Instagram at the Sarah Trot or my website, sarahtrotmedia.com. And if you want to listen to my podcast, it's called From Here to Where, and you can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. Love it. Oh, well, yes, go support, show some love to Sarah for sure. And thank you again for coming on truly. Um, this was awesome. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, if you're ever out West, let me know. I mean, I'm in yeah. LA, San Diego. So thank you so much. Yeah. And you too. If you're ever in New York, let me know. <laughs> for sure. All right. Yes. Awesome. We'll, we'll be in touch. Yeah. Thank you. And have a great rest of your day. Okay. Yeah. You too. Thanks. Bye.